Bibles, please, to Second Peter, sorry, First Peter, chapter 2. First Peter, chapter 2, verse 1, hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile, and hypocrisies and envies, and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone disallowed indeed of men, But chosen of God and precious, ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore, also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded." Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient to the stone, which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even unto them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, in which time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. So to begin our service, uh, our sermon today, I have two quotations for you. One from the Reverend Stephen Charnock, and the other from the Reverend John Brown of Edinburgh, not Haddington, not Womfrey, but Edinburgh, who has a, a very uh, sweet uh, commentary on First Peter. Stephen Charnock says this, Till the nature of the will be altered, it can never move freely to any duty. There must be a power to will before there is a will to do, as Philippians 2.13 It is God which works in you both to will and to do. A supernatural renewing grace must must expel corrupt habits from the will and reduce it to its true object. When faith is planted, it brings love to work by. When the soul is renewed, there is an harmony between God and the heart, between the mind and the word, between the will and the duty. When the appetite and true taste of the soul is restored in regeneration, then spring up strong desires to apply itself to every holy service. The sincere milk of the word is fervently desired after it is spiritually tasted. And then John Brown. It is their conscious helplessness, their entire confiding dependence on others then, ready belief as their faculties expand of everything told them till the falsehood of men teaches them distrust and makes infants fit emblems of the disciples of Christ 
They renounce themselves. They believe what he, God, says to them because he says it. They do what he bids them because he bids them. They feel that they are entirely dependent on him and they are well pleased that it should be so. They confide in him, in his wisdom, his power, in his grace, just as an affectionate child feels safe and happy in his father's house or in his mother's arms and takes no thought for himself. Because he knows they will take thought for him. And never doubts either their affection for him. Or their following out the dictates of that affection. And protecting him from evil. And obtaining for him everything he needs. Hmm. So here we are now at 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 1. In our study of this great book. I will have to tell you that Peter in these first two, three verses really reaches back to verse 22. Uh, in verse 22, we heard that we have, uh, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, and so on. Peter talks about being born again. Um, but he talks about that as, a, as the foundation of the command. And the command is to love one another with a pure heart fervently. And beloved, what Peter is telling us here, as we saw in, earlier in our study, is that it is simply not possible to love one another with a pure heart fervently with corrupt and natural hearts. We can't do it. We come forth from the womb very much interested in ourselves. Very much interested in having everyone else sacrifice for us rather than us sacrificing for anyone. This sacrificial loving one another with a pure heart fervently as true Christian love is always sacrificial and redemptive as we learned in our study is only the fruit of regeneration. It cannot be had. It can be imitated. Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light and sets other kinds of love before us that are not true love, as we saw in our study earlier a few weeks back. All of that is obviously true. However, when Peter enters into that discussion, he will give the command... He'll give the foundation for the command, you must be born again. And then he will give the means of being born again, and that was the word in spirit. And it is as if Peter interrupts himself at the end of chapter 1 and goes on a, on a short uh, declaration about the, the greatness of Holy Scripture. That it is the word of God, and that it is miraculously preserved, and that its meaning, its logos, must be obtained properly from its rhema. Right? The words form the foundation of the right meaning of Scripture, and it is that word by which the gospel is preached unto you, so that to pervert the meaning of Scripture is to pervert the gospel of Christ. Well, obviously that's, not news to any of us. We see that going on uh, out in a, and about in the wilds of what is called Christendom today. 
But notice what Peter does. He introduces three elements there, and he will continue as these or with those same three elements in chapters in chapter two, verses one through three. The first element is loving one another with a pure heart fervently. The second element is that that rises up out of the foundation of regeneration. And the third element is that that regeneration is by the word and spirit of God. Now notice what he does in chapter 2 and verse 1. So in loving one another with a pure heart fervently, there are things that we have to lay aside. And then as newborn babes, that speaks of our regeneration desire the sincere milk of the word that is that not only have we tasted that the lord is gracious by that word and spirit but we must continue on with that word and spirit here in 2 1 through 3 so that's the overview of what peter does here and i'd like to spend some time now looking at some of those particulars but the overview is peter continues in context he's still talking about love regeneration and the word of God. And that is, if we, if we would uh, think of it this way, in reverse order of time. Right? So he puts the end first. Loving one another with a pure heart fervently. Which is dependent upon being born again. Which is dependent upon the word and spirit of God. Okay? Alright, so laying aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies. Envies and evil speakings. Now this is an interesting kind of construction here. Notice that there are two uh, of these substantives, these nouns, that are singular. And three of them that are plural. Geeks like me notice stuff like that. Right? He doesn't say lay off or lay aside malices and guiles. No, lay off, lay aside malice and guile. And then hypocrisies, envies, evil speakings. And I agree with those commentators that would say that the foundational elements here, the attitudes, the heart issues are malice and guile. And then they manifest in hypocrisies, envies, and evil speakings. And that's why those last three are in the, in, in the plural and the first two are in the singular. So with regard to the laying aside, uh, this is an, indeed a part of that concept of regeneration, of putting off the old man and putting on the new man. I have a plan to look at uh, Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3 with you for a few moments today as indicative of what Peter is talking about. Peter uses something that's much more abbreviated here. But it is indeed much broader, especially in Ephesians 4, but even in Colossians 3, although it's stacked up a little bit differently, it's the same concept. And what is that concept? Beloved, it does precious little for a man who is dead in trespasses and sins, to charge him with the throes of death. Someone who is dead in trespasses and sins, he cannot help but be malicious. He cannot help but be uh, deceitful, treacherous. That's his stock and trade. That's how we come forth into this world 
corrupted in our first father Adam and with our actual sins that we add to that. We come into this world in such a way that we must be born again. Regeneration is a real thing. And when regeneration takes place by the almighty power and word of God, the spirit blows where he wills. When it does take place, suddenly, as Mr. Charnock said, new abilities come flooding into the soul. The regenerated heart is different. It's a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. And so who do you think Peter is talking to when he says, lay aside malice, guile, hypocrisies, envying, or envies, and evil speakings? Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to those who have a profession of faith in Christ, who are people that have the power, the strength, from the grace of God, not out of themselves, actually to lay aside malice, actually to lay aside uh, deceit and treachery, treachery, excuse me, and to lay aside those manifestations of those attitudes, to put away those things. Why? Because we are not enslaved to them. They don't belong to us anymore. What is malice? Well, the Greek word is very simple. It just means uh, this evil intention. It's an evil intention. And it's not an evil intention very often just for the sake of evil itself. Remember a moment ago I said we come into this world self-interested. Malice is, is the attitude of mind that says... That there is no barrier to my self-advancement, even the harm of others. It's okay if when I'm getting what I want, I'm mistreating and doing evil to others. I have one great love in my life, says the natural man. It's, actually, there's three of us. Me, myself, and I. You've heard people say, well, that man, he's got eye trouble. We don't mean E-Y-E, right? We mean I. That, but, but beloved, we all come into this world with that kind of self-interest at our root and then continue to wrestle with that self-interest after regeneration. But notice that we are told, commanded, to lay it aside. And the word used is just like laying off a garment. Take it off and put it down and don't pick it up anymore. Take it off. Leave it. Don't pick it up. The natural man has no power to put away his malice. Everything he does, he lives and breathes it. Deceit, treachery. treachery. He will even uh, pretend in order to get his way. Well, those of you who are getting the flood of emails that I'm getting, or these texts that come in from random numbers... The, the first words out of their mouth are lies and deceit. Depart you with that which God has given you, right? Depart you from that which God has given you, your hard-earned cash. What are they doing? They're lying. The first words out of their mouth is a lie. Beloved, treachery and malice 
And why do people do that? Why do they do that? They do it because it advances them in this world in one way or another. And they don't care that it harms you, that it hurts others. That's what malice is. That's what treachery and deceit is. Dolos, treachery. And so, what do we imbibe in as human beings? We imbibe in hypocrisies, right? Their words were smooth as butter, but war was in their heart. You remember that from the Psalms? They'll do and they'll say anything. Satan himself presents himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 through 4, as an angel of light, or actually a little bit later on in that chapter. His ministers, well, they seem so right. They tell you all the things that you wanted to hear, and so on. We know this about ourselves. Paul told us that, didn't he? In 2 Timothy chapter 4, when he said, the time will come when these hearers of yours, they will seek rather to have their ears scratched or tingled. You, Timothy, preach the word. Be in season, or be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Because the people of God, well, from time to time, we have tendencies in deformation rather than reformation to hear something more pleasant to us. The prophets heard that. Oh, don't say hard things to us. Say smooth things. Isaiah will lament, they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So, beloved, we have this statement here at the beginning. We must lay aside malice and guile and hypocrisy. In Paul's epistle to the Romans in chapter 13. Verse 12, the same Greek word is used here. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Peter started out this discourse by saying, you must love one another with a pure heart fervently. Where's he going with the discourse? Well, the next few verses in 1 Peter 2 make that very clear. You're going to be a people that are not a people at all, but a living temple, living stones in a temple. How are you going to do that, beloved? How are we going to do that if we're rife with malice and treachery and hypocrisies, envies and evil speakings? How can we find our place as living stones in that living temple standing upon the shoulders of those who have gone before us in the course of our history and forming a place for others to stand later after they come in the next course of stones. 
How can we do that if we give ourselves to malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and speaking evil? We've already read today where we're going. It's that heavenly Jerusalem. It's that pure water of life, the tree of life, and everyone feasting on life. And so if we're going to be those people, that church that God has ordained us to be, we have to put off malice, put off deceit and treachery, put off self-interest and all these other things, hypocrisies, pretense, not speaking the truth one to another, and so on. Well, speaking of that, let's go over to Ephesians chapter 4 for a moment. In Ephesians chapter 4, the apostle is talking about the same thing. He has the same thing in mind. He's talking about the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We're all one church, right? One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, above all, and in you all. And then he will say, but there are some diversities among us as well. Because when Christ ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. And what did he give? He gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And why did he give them? For the work of the ministry. For, sorry, for the perfection of the church. The saints, for the work of the ministry and for the edification, the building up of the body of Christ. You see, he's in the same vein as Peter is here. And now he goes on to talk about why we need that. Peter is going to use the same kind of words here. But Paul gives us essentially five reasons in this passage why we need a teaching ministry to unite us. Why do we need that, Paul will say. Well, he's quoting from Psalm 68. And to finish that quotation there that we see in, in uh, verse 8. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. The next phrase in that psalm is, and for the rebellious also, that, God may li- that the Lord may live among them. For the rebellious. Why do we need a teaching ministry? Why did Christ give us these gifts? Because we're rebels. First of all. Second of all, he'll say, and nobody likes to admit this, but because we're children. Third, he'll say, because there are men out there with cunning plots to lie in wait and deceive us. And fourth, he'll say that we should not be tossed to and fro. And then fifth, he'll say, so that we learn to speak the language of Zion in love. So that we can edify each other as well. Those five things. Come flowing out of this passage here in Ephesians 4. And he's in the same vein as Peter is. And so then. In verses 17 through 24. He will talk about the Gentiles. Who walk in the vanity of their mind. And then he'll say but that's not you. You're different than that. What are you like? Well, you've put on the new man. You've put off the old man with his deeds. And you put on the new man. Again, same word. Apotithemi. You put off some things and you put on some things. 
And so then the balance of the chapter, 25 through the end of the chapter, uh, 25 through 32, teaches us, teaches us what things have been put away. It's interesting. Put away lying, speak the truth, verse 25. Why? Because we're members one of another. 26, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. What's the put on and put off there? Well, you have to go back to Psalm 4 because Paul is quoting from Psalm 4 there. And Psalm 4 says, actually it's not translated correctly in the, in the authorized version. It should say, be angry and sin not. Let, and then it says, ponder with your own heart upon your bed. How can you tell when your anger is an upright anger? Because you can still meditate and ponder. You, when you go to bed that night, you are able to examine. You're, you're able to look at what you have done. Don't let the sun go down on that anger. Ponder on your bed what you've done. And then you know whether or not your anger has been upright or not. So put off sinful anger and put on judicious anger. That anger that strikes when God's glory is struck at. Next. Um, let him that steal or stole steal no more. Rather let him work and be generous instead. Put off stealing. Put on honest labor and generosity instead. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Put on what? That which edifies. The kind of edifying speech. To minister grace to the hearers. And then finally he wraps it up with. Oh and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. The putting on there is obvious right. You don't grieve him. You embrace him. You're sealed by him. And then finally 31. Is a, 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 a sort of. Uh, finale wrap up let all bitterness wrath anger clamor evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and then be kind tender-hearted forgiving as god for christ's sake has forgiven you put off put on this is not mission impossible this is mission possible why because we have new hearts because we have Hearts purified by faith. Because we're no longer under the bondage of sin and Satan. Oh, we may still have the shackle scars on us. But those shackles are not there, beloved. This command is a command that is doable. You can put off that self-interest that says, Oh, they were hurt? Uh, okay, I'd rather they weren't, but who cares? I got what I needed out of it. Right? This self-interest that must be put away. In Colossians chapter 3, the apostle will go down much the same road. Except here, there's going to be a distinguishing that I think is important. Remember in the next chapter, as Paul continues that discussion, in Ephesians chapter 4 and then into chapter 5, He's going to give a list of things that are simply incompatible with Christianity. If you're doing these things, Paul will say, you're outside the pale. You have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Then he will talk about other things that are inconsistent rather than incompatible. 
And I want you to get that, that difference in your minds because if we lose that distinction, we're going to begin thinking that every sin is, quote, incompatible with Christianity. And that's not true. We are uh, a people that are sinners. Uh, we don't teach perfectionism. Perfectionism is a wicked sin. That teaching. No, we don't teach that. But we do teach that there are some sins, and Paul will give them in a list in Ephesians 5, Galatians chapter 5, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Colossians chapter 3, and he will say, listen, if these things are what your life is like, there's no inheritance for you in the kingdom of God. Period. End of story. No arguments. No standing on one leg and, and protesting. You don't get to do that. But then there are other sins that Paul will name here in Colossians chapter 3 that are inconsistent with your Christian profession that you must constantly be working on to put off. So look at what he says in chapter 3 verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness which is idolatry for which things sake. The wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. Writing to the Colossians, they are no longer doing those things. They used to. But they have been relieved of the bondage to those sins that are incompatible with eternal life. Paul will say the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Sorry, chapter 6, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. But you're washed, but you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Paul is speaking to Gentile churches, and we know the, the horrid moral estate of, the, of those Gentile nations. And you, you know, we've talked about this before, we don't need to get too graphic, but they had a seeker-friendly service beyond all seeker-friendly services. Right? Human intimacy and a steak dinner. And they brought that, some of them, into the Christian church. Paul said, you don't bring that here. It doesn't belong here. This is incompatible with your inheritance. But now back in Colossians 3, Paul will say, But now ye also put off all these. So, so now here is a command to put off some other things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another, seeing you put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. In Ephesians 4, Paul will say this image of God is being renewed in righteousness and holiness. And here in Colossians, knowledge. 
So what is God working in you, beloved, that believe in him, that believe in Christ? He is working in you the renewal of his image in knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness. And so there are some things that are just plain incompatible with Christianity. Incompatible with your, uh, in, with your eternal inheritance. Incompatible, Paul says, with what he calls the inheritance in the kingdom of God. Uh, they are sins that are difficult to speak about in mixed company. And they are sins that the visible Christian church has embraced. And that's the sad part of it. But I don't want to make this sound like the only thing that we need to be concerned about is what's going on out there. We ought to be concerned with what's going on out there because temporal judgments come upon a nation for the corruption of her churches. So yes, we are affected and we are brushed with that brush. And so that means that every opportunity that we have We speak the truth of the scripture instead. We speak the truth of putting off things like malice. Putting off things like those sins that can remain and are are only inconsistent with our calling rather than incompatible with our calling. And those things that are incompatible, we make sure that's known as well in our sphere of influence, whatever that is. That is our responsibility. That is our That is our calling as Christians to say that is not Christianity. That is not the religion of the triune God. That's incompatible with it. So there's still a lot of work to do here. And this work of putting off and putting on is work for the believer. Every one of us. Now we will see, won't we? Uh, We will see in our lives these difficulties as they come up. We will see that that, um, uh, the temptation to malice and self-seeking, even deceit, the use of deceit in such a way so as to, you know, keep our reputation up. rather than the open and honest and earnest candor that we owe one another, that God has said is so salutary and helpful and edifying to us. I mean, how did, how did he say that in Ephesians chapter 4? What did Paul tell us? That if we would speak the truth in love one to another, that we will grow up into him who is the head, even Christ. No more children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and the slight and cunning of men, where they lay in wait to deceive. But instead, we would be indeed built up and edified. Edified by the ministry of the church. Edified as we learn to speak the language of Zion ourselves and speak to one another with that earnest candor, even (gasps) correction, if need be. Well, beloved, these are good things. These are things to remember. If, if we see, um, turn back to First Peter with me for a moment. 
This is, this is a fascinating study here, isn't it? Because if we see our brother or our sister involved in something that looks to us like malicious or like malice. I was going to say maliciousness, but that's the way they used to say it. Now we say malice. Or it looks like guile, or it looks like hypocrisies, or envies, or evil speakings. And we say to ourselves, you know, that's their thing. That's not mine. I'm not a part of that. That's them. What have we done? We have said that that stone in the wall is going to be misshapen. It's not going to be cut and put in like it's supposed to be. It's going to be turned sideways. It's going, to, uh, it's going to not serve as a support for those who will come after. And it's certainly not consistent with what it's standing on. And you know what? In so understanding it that way, we also will understand that we are the next stone in the course. And beloved, this is our business. Oh, now we don't want to become so critical of one another. Don't hear me saying that. I think our tendency is rather to let it roll than, any, than anything else. However, sometimes our desire to simply go along and get along means that we don't speak the truth in love one to another. And so we have worked against the edifying work that God says is our duty. Right? We must lay aside and we must put on. So, so how does Peter put that? Lay aside malice. Lay aside guile. Lay aside hypocrisies, envies, evil speakings. Meditate on those. What do each one of them mean? What is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is a manifestation of self-interest. You pretend you're something you're not for the sake of advantage. Sometimes hypocrisy takes on the note of flattery, insincere speech for advantage sake. Second Peter chapter 2, Peter will talk about that. These men, they have other people's person um, in admiration for advantage sake. There's spots in your feast of charity, is how he puts it. What is envy? Well, we know what envy is. Envy is the juice that drives modern politics. Envy, the politics of envy. But how about the polity of envy? When was the last time you recognized envy in yourself and confessed it and asked the Lord to heal you of that envy? There is such a thing as envy in the Christian and it must be put off. We must desire the advancement, honor, glory, recognition of our neighbor rather than wondering why we're not getting it. Right? And what is evil speakings? Hmm. Well, that's when you say something about someone to someone else and they're not there to defend themselves. You've triangulated a third person into the conversation that doesn't belong there because you've not gone and spoken directly, openly, honestly, and candidly to the first person 
that came up in your mind. Rather, someone offended you and you were looking for that selfish um, uh, advancement and so you said to someone else, do you know what this person did to me? And you want commiseration from them rather than what you should get from them, which is, why am I hearing this? Why haven't you gone to the person who offended you? Why are you, are you calling me to be a witness to your conversation? If you're not, please pipe down. Right? Evil speakings for our own advantage sake, for, our, for the advancement of our self-interest. Beloved, we will wrestle with that in this life. We will. Let's be honest and recognize that. Perfection is not something that God has granted to his saints. And so let us wrestle with it. But let us wrestle with it as victors. Why? Because the command to put it off is mission possible, not mission impossible. We're no longer under those structures. We can say no to temptation. With every temptation, beloved, there is, according to the Apostle Paul, a way of escape. All right, so let's spend the, uh, the, the next few moments talking about being born again. We'll get into Peter's particulars in a few moments, but let's talk about being born again for a moment. I think that, that uh, the commentary that I read this week, uh, actually one of several, was, was an important use out of this passage. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. And then as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if so you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Both of those passages speak in the, in the way of being born again, being regenerated. There is a change that must come over every person if they are to escape the wrath to come. We don't, we're not decisionalists here. We're not pushing for decisions. We believe that regeneration happens, takes place in God's timing, in God's sovereignty, when we are involved in what he has put into our hands, and that is a proper use of Christian nurture. A proper use of Christian nurture. And what do we mean by that? We mean that whoever you are, whether you're raised in a Christian household or whether, you're, whether you, you become associated to the church, even may even become a member after your adulthood and you make a profession of faith in Christ. And we receive that profession of faith with the judgment of charity. Of course we do. You know your own hearts better than we do. However, God knows your own heart better than you do right and so it may be that someone goes along in the church and happy as a clam for a long time and then suddenly they recognize that there is something that they've been carrying all these years that is more incompatible not inconsistent with their eternal inheritance and they turn to the lord you know those things are in the hands of god every one of his elect none of them will be lost we're not worried about that. We're not uh, sweating and grinding and begging people. We are, however, presenting that proper Christian nurture. And, a, and as a part of that nurture, Paul will say to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we are 
ambassadors for Christ and ministers of reconciliation. And so we say to you, Christian church, be ye reconciled to God. That's a part of our Christian nurture. It's a part of our Christian teaching. Children, we say it to you. Are you reconciled to God? Are you at peace with God through Jesus Christ? Have you given the eternal disposition of your souls into his powerful hands? You must be born again. You must. Otherwise you face a gaping maw of fire for eternity. As we read about already in the book of Revelation. Turn with me to John chapter 3 for a moment. Let's try to wrap up here. Maybe with one more use after. In John chapter 3, this is that passage where Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. And, of course, Nicodemus begins the conversation with Christ by saying, Master, didaskale, teacher, we know. We. Who's the we? We know that thou art a teacher come from God. Because no man can do the miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Right? Who's the we? The Pharisees, the scribes, the, the religious officers of the day, the church officers of the day. And why would they send Nicodemus to Christ? Well, because here's a guy teaching and he hasn't come up through the normal channels. And they're wanting to make sure that he's a teacher that has come from God. They're, they're wanting perhaps to throw in with him if they can maybe get a little something from him. They recognize his gifts. They recognize he's come from God. He's doing miracles. And so this is a proper conversation. So what does Jesus say? Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Notice that term kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul would say the same thing with regard to those sins that we talked about a few moments ago. No inheritance in that kingdom. Jesus, uh, sorry, Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time to his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I take this to be a reference to Ezekiel 36, where the Lord promises that in the days of Messiah, he will pour out his spirit and he will put us a, a heart of flesh into the hearts of his people rather than a heart of stone. He will sprinkle them and so on. Except a man be born of water, that is, even of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, one you, Nicodemus, ye, all you Pharisees and religious leaders, need to be born again. There was an age of the church, beloved, in the first century, when Jesus walked upon the face of the earth, when Almost the entire officership of the church was unregenerated. It's hard to imagine, but it's true. Modern theology teaches us that people are regenerated, we baptize them, we bring them into the visible church. There's only one problem with that. We can't see it. We can't know it. We only opine it. 
I don't know what your Christian experience is like. And we don't reason from experience. But I will say this. That I have known several Christians through the course of my brief tenure on God's good earth. That have said to me, I thought I was a Christian back then, but I was not. I thought I loved the Lord, but I did not. We can be deceived by our own hearts. And so... From 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, and chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we ask ourselves the question again. Am I born again? Is my soul in the hands of Christ? Are those marks that we will look at later on in Peter's writing and in John's writing and so on, are those marks mine? Is there such a thing as unfeigned love of the brethren? Is there such a thing, not perfect, but, but in this growing and, and, um, and increasing understanding, is the direction of my affections toward God and his things? Or am I still stuck in me mode? How can I tell when someone crosses me, what do I do? When someone thwarts that selfish way of mine? Where am I found? Am I found with bitterness and anger in my heart and on my lips? Or am I found with bitterness of soul because I've discovered that that malice is not all the way yet put away? (coughs) How do I feel about the commandments of God? John will tell us, won't he, that this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and they're not grievous. Do I have an open-hearted and warm love for God and his commandments. Jesus says, you love me? You keep my commandments. That's the stock and store of people that love me. That's their stock and trade. And so we use these things as gauges. And we continually point ourselves to God. Knowing that regeneration is his sovereign work. And he commands us that we should be born again. That we might make use of all of the means at our disposal One step in front of the other until that last step is into eternity with him. Beholding his face. So we must pause and ask ourselves the question. There is such a thing as being born again. There are no children, as we've said, Christian grandchildren. Oh, I'm going to get in because my parents are saved. I'm going to get in because my parents took me to church. Well, Nicodemus' parents took him to church, didn't they? Yet he needed to be born again. Have you? Intentionally? Have you said to the Lord, all that you've commanded me, I'll do? You know, those vows that we take of church membership, I hope they warm your hearts like they warm mine. Do you confess that Jesus Christ is your sovereign Lord and that his way of salvation, the only way of salvation? Do you receive and own his commandments as those delightsome things? Beloved, we must be born again. And I wouldn't be a very good pastor if I didn't remind you of that from time to time. No, we're not decisionalists. No, we're not going to... You know, turn on the organ music and have you come down here weeping. We're not going to do that. But it is a part of our Christian nurture to ask the question and to reveal the means of what it means to be born again.
The next question we need to ask, us, ask ourselves is, as a part of that, are we putting off the old man? Are we putting him off? How do we do that? Beloved, it is some of the hardest work you will ever do in this life. You must be consistent every time you come to some knowledge of sin or deficiency. You stop. You confess it. And you ask the Lord to help you to forsake it and to replace it with what it means to put on the new man. Put it off and put on what our Puritan fathers called new obedience. Mortify sin. Put it off. Don't give it any life. Don't give it any excuse. Parents, dance on your toes for a second. I was guilty of this when I was a parent, and so I'm dancing on my own as well. Do not make excuses for your children's sin. Don't give that thing any life. Don't give it life. You don't need to be mean and nasty. That's not what we're talking about. But the meanest thing that you can do is to make excuses for sin in yourself and in those under your authority. We habituate ourselves then, don't we, to grow up making excuses for our sins rather than candid and open dealing with God. That's how we put it off. And then we put on something upright in its stead. Well, we've come past our time and it's time to close. I hope then that um, as we come back in two weeks' time and, and, and take a look at 1 Peter 2 uh, and we begin to unpack what it means, why, why Peter would call them newborn babes, why, why would he call the word milk and so on. All of those things I think will be very encouraging and helpful to you. So let's stand and call upon the Lord in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come unto thee, certainly a a convicting word as we have thought through uh, what Peter is teaching us, what Paul teaches in Ephesians and Colossians and in 1 Corinthians. As we've seen things that are incompatible with our eternal inheritance and then other things that are inconsistent with it. Lord, we pray that we would have a proper witness, not only uh, here in our churches, but also, Lord, that we would have a proper witness to the world and that we would indeed take up those commands of thine, as we heard from Deuteronomy 4, as that apologetic and that this kind of of consideration of that which is incompatible and that which is inconsistent, that these would be rightly handled. Oh Lord, we confess that, that there is much work to do and it is beyond what we can do. Lord, we pray make use of these small efforts of ours in our, in our homes, in our communities, in our churches, in our spheres of business and purchase and commerce and influence. And Lord, in those small circles, we pray that thou wouldst marry them together. And, and as those small circles merge more and more into a larger whole, that thou wouldst be pleased to grant us reformation in our church first, where judgment must begin. 
and then beyond into the world around us. And Lord, we pray for that honesty, that kind of candor with thee and with others that is consistent with speaking the truth in love. Oh Lord, help us to speak the truth in love when we come before thee to pray and to put away all deceit and pretense, treating thee as if thou wert another person to be molded rather than to be molded ourselves by our communion with thee. And teach us also, Lord, as we, as we think on putting off and putting on, that we would simply not be content to put things off. But as the man who was counseled, who was formerly a thief, to labor and to be generous, so also we would put on those works of new obedience. Oh Lord, we pray these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated.